Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. I am a religion recovery coach who helps people with life after religion. And this podcast allows people to share their stories of abuse and religious trauma in various religions and cults. Some guests come on the show to discuss specific topics to educate and bring awareness. Discussions will range from purity culture, mental health, religious trauma, Christian culture, deconstruction, spirituality, and much more. Now, let's get into this episode of Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger, and I am super excited to have Gloria Masters on the show today. I was recently on her show, Handing the Shame Back, and we had a great time, and I was so glad to be on her show, and I have her podcast link, so please check that out. And her podcast specifically covers um, child sexual assault victims and people who've experienced that and she gives a voice to survivors and helping people heal and i think it's just so incredible and she is a survivor an author and an advocate of all things csa and she speaks from 16 years of lived experience and it's so inspirational to me to see survivors using their story to help other people. And that's why I, I love about your podcast, Gloria. That's a big reason of why I started mine to give voice to survivors. And it's just so powerful. And so she has written two books. The first is her memoir on is called On Angels Wings my flight from trauma to grace and the second book is called flight path to healing and it's a guide for child sexual abuse survivors and the intent with this one is to support other survivors in their healing and recovery and she believes there's a way through and she wants to help others by sharing what worked for her and i'm going to read a little description from her book um this is from amazon and her book, her memoir is called On Angel's Wings, My Flight from Trauma to Grace. And the description says this extraordinary, powerful story of Gloria's journey from darkness into light is one of hope, resilience, and unrelenting power of the human spirit to survive. It's June 1960, and in middle-class suburban New Zealand, a child was born into sex slavery. For the first 16 years of her life, Gloria suffered horrendous sexual, physical, and psychological abuse at the hands of her father with no one to protect her. From the underworld of her father's pedophile ring to the groups he trafficked her to, she found an inner strength and light that shone so brightly. Her mind was the one thing that could not be destroyed. Experience with the eyes of a child on angels' wings will forever highlight the way we deal with child abuse, shining a light on this darkness and challenging us not to assume that every child is safe. One voice speaking out is all it takes to save a life. Wow. Like that is just a powerful 
description and I wanted to read it because and give you a really good introduction <laughs> because your story is just is so horrendous like it says in the you know the description and but what's so incredible to me is how you've come out on the other side of that and you know you turn that darkness into light and you're helping people and you're giving a voice to other survivors and i want to thank you so much for doing that oh andrew hey thank you it's mm. uh it's such a privilege actually and i'm grateful that i can uh, yes, of course. And so as we dig into the interview, um, you know, I like to start in the very beginning. And so I know this is like a complex question and you can, it's, you know, I'll give the floor to you to answer it. Um, but what was your childhood like? What's the earliest time starting your childhood and experiencing this abuse and how that all started? Yeah, thank you. Good, good question. Um, my my childhood was a non childhood. Mm. Short answer. Yeah. At the time I was born, I was subjected to sexual abuse within mm. my family of origin. Mm. That quickly then became involving my father's friends and mm -hmm. out of the Freemasons he belonged to through the Catholic Church. Mm. So on the one hand, we were a good Catholic family and went to church every Sunday mm -hmm. and had that rammed down our throat seven days a week. On the other hand, um, I was trained by my father's mother, my grandmother, and mm. one of his sisters to become the best child sex slave I could be. Mm. So wow. they taught me how to perform sexually for men. Mm. And I I saw money change hands. So in essence, they were being paid a commission for the work I did. Now, you could be forgiven for thinking, oh, well, you know, Maybe you were a teenager. No, I was five and a half when the train. Oh my God. Oh, wow. Wow. That's horrific. I'm so sorry. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that was just one aspect of mm. my formative years. Mm. Another wow. was that. Um, my parents separated at the age when I was 11. It was a very mm. toxic, functional relationship, um, and I certainly was not a feature in their minds at mm. all. If you said to me, what was the one message you got growing up with either parent was, you're just in the way, get out of the way. Mm. Oh, my. I never felt of value. The only time my father ever spoke to me, well, it wasn't really speaking, it was more barking orders or yelling mm, yeah, or wow. violent towards me, mm. was to tell me how to uh, perform better for the men that were paying him mm. to abuse me. Mm. So he made so much money out of me that in 1968, 
He got one of the only four Pontiacs imported from the US into New Zealand. Mm. Wow. So when when my parents were 11, uh, I ended up staying with my father and brother in, in, the, in the family home, and my mother fled with the other girls. Mm. So what that meant was if you were thinking, oh, she knew such horror up until 11. No, mm. that's when it really took off for me. Mm. Wow. The 18 months, I was forced to live with him full mm. time. Mm. I was beaten so badly and sexualized and abused so mm. brutally. Uh, I, I nearly lost my life several mm. times. And in fact, as a child, between the ages of 11 and 12 and a half, I tried to take my own life Mm. three times. Wow. Mm. So that's that's how dark it was. Mm. I star in over 100 pornographic movies. Oh, my God. Wow. That's terrible. My Mm. grandmother performed abortions on me. Oh, my God. I was left out of a red light district, chained to a bed, mm-hmm. and released out of the top floor of a red light district. Mm. Look, I could go on, but mm. the reality is, if you said to me, what was the worst of it, the physical, the emotional, or the psychological, I would have to say it's the t- it was the psychological torture mm. and abuse uh. that, that did my... Mm. Yeah, Mm. very, very grateful to be alive, Andrew, and I feel very blessed that I've managed to come through and do Mm. the enormous decades of healing and be who I am today. Mm. Wow, yes. Wow, I I am so glad you are here too, and I think it is incredible that you're here, and I am so grateful that you are and you're able to shed a light on this because sadly things like this are they're still going on today behind closed doors and it's something our society is not talking about and i'm so glad there are people like you who are coming forward and sharing their story because you know a lot of people don't want to hear survivors a lot of people don't want to and you know, and I'm so glad that you've been able to share your story with other um, survivors. And you know, in my mind, I'm just thinking of all, all the, de- all the things that a child needs for development. And just to hear your story and just hear all the awful abuse that you went through. You never, you sadly never got a childhood. You never got to be a child. It's like your your innocence was taken away yeah. at such a young age. It was just wow, so brutal and so terrible. And and to me to see people who could go through so many terrible things and um have light on the other side of it. Sorry, I'm being emotional. Mm. Um, but it's just so incredible and. I'm just so grateful that you are here and 
you know, and that you've been able to work through that through decades. And I'm sure you're still working through it so much. And, um, and I know you said that, you know, it's, it continued also throughout your teen years and you don't have to talk about that if you don't want to, because, you know, I like to talk about how people have found healing. So I want to give you the space if you want to continue telling that part of your story of in your teen years, what was that continuing to be like? Yeah. So look, it, I think it, it's, it's useful. And thank you for your beautiful words. And, mm. you know, tears are just emotion. And I think mm. it's beautiful that it evokes that. And the day mm. that we don't feel yeah. mm. others, I think we shouldn't be doing what we're doing, Andrew, eh? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I know. Mm, yeah um yeah i think you know as a teenager what was i was so isolated because i felt Mm. so different because my weekends with my life with my father was all about the trafficking and all Mm. about the money and all about the abuse Mm. um and they would they would heavily drug me Mm. uh, so that i I didn't feel anything, if that makes mm. sense. Um, but what I found was I then had to become the good Catholic girl when I was with mm. my mother at her house, and she had no interest in me because she was a classic narcissist. Mm. My father was a psychopath. Mm. And so between the two, I just fell into the middle. There was no... Oh, wow. The, there was no space for me, mm. and so I learned to go within. Mm. And I think one of the worst times in my uh, young life as a teenager was one weekend being trafficked to a gang in New mm. Zealand. Back then there were only three gangs in our country, and this was a pretty big big gang, mm. and they were well known, and I can't name them because yeah. I need to protect my identity, but... Um, I was so badly beaten mm. that I was unrecognizable. Oh my gosh! Wow! I couldn't go to school mm. for weeks. My mm. eyes were closed shut with uh. the of it. I had ribs broken. I was so badly beaten. Mm. I had kids off school. And all my father said when he came to collect me from the gang mm. headquarters was be careful what you do to a mate because she won't look as good for you next time. Mm, my gosh. That, that, that I wasn't a non-person, if you like. Mm. Uh, and I think the debasement and the cruelty for me was when I would be in those situations and adults were willing to abuse, witness, um, not protect, not get involved at all. And mm. so that's why my life's dedicated to this because if it's even one soul I manage to mm. help or one child I save, mm. that I'll never stop talking. Mm. Wow. Yes, that's, that's so, so powerful. Mm. And I see that in a lot in the survivor community of... Um, people speaking up and sadly there are people who don't want us to speak up who don't but we're going to continue telling our stories anyways and we're going to continue making a difference and i'm so glad that you are and so 
I think something I want to dig into is, you know, you said your mother was a narcissist or was it your grandmother that was a narcissist? My mother, my mother was a narcissist, so I was just in the way. She wasn't interested mm-hmm. at all either. Mm-hmm. And your and dad was a psychopath. Wow. Oh, well, you don't do that to your child. Yeah, Andrew, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Never once did I ever have a conversation with him where he showed parental oh, interest yeah. Anything like mm. not about my schoolwork, not about yeah. my friends, not about uh-huh. what I wanted to do with my life, not about yeah, anything. yeah, it's not terrible in my yeah. life. Well, mm. he was too busy rubbing his hands with glee and making oh, a lot of terrible, mm-hmm. yeah. But the good news is the light didn't die, it mm. flickered and it wanted to, to uh to shut down but there was something in me that just said mm. keep going keep going keep going mm. so i did oh here i am <laughs> oh so, so glad and you know i know, you know when we experience things as children we don't have the language then so when did you find the language to identify your family dynamic and the things you experienced I uh, blocked what happened to me. Once I no longer had to see my father at the age of 16, mm-hmm. I did. I never willingly saw him again, ever. Mm, understandably, um, yes. Ooh, yeah, wow. but I, mm-hmm. I blocked it all, and it's well known to us as survivors, we block mm-hmm. the because our mind can't deal with it. it yeah. Our mind trying to protect us always. Mm. And so I was a mother myself before I recalled those memories. Mm, wow and so then i had the language then i knew what had happened mm, i see and so you know at that point at 16 when you no longer had contact with your father what was your life like going forward as you were as i'm sure trying to find a way to live somehow and you know in whatever way possible try to find a way to live a better life what did that look like for you well, you can imagine with the level mm. of trauma and neglect and abuse, non-childhood, I'm more the child now, actually. Mm. Yes. <laughs> they say to me, Mom, grow up. But I'm more, I'm more the child now, and oh. uh, and I'm grateful to be. Yeah, because, you should. You, you know, need it. You deserve that. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So yes. I, I'm the one that says, no, let's do this. Um, because you know, I believe there's always a way and Mm. it's long and it can be slow and it can be painful. Mm. Um, but my life from the age of 16 was terrible because Mm. that level of trauma and abuse, I Mm. had to try and process it and make sense of it. So, yeah, I made all the choices you would expect from a very damaged, fragmented. Um, I didn't know who I was. It took me mm. years in therapy. Once I was in my thirties, then I started mm. to recall and do the healing work. Mm. Mm. But my whole point for sharing my story, Andrew, is that I just want to give other survivors hope because if someone like me mm. can get through that, what there's hope for us all. Mm. And not saying it will be easy, but mm. it's possible. Mm. Yes. And so what 
led you to the point to go to therapy? What convinced you, yes, I need to go? Oh, because uh, the it was like a, a tsunami. I was too scared to go to sleep at night because mm. the memories, we've got 16 years yeah, wow. of, of, mm. you could make a movie out of one aspect of my life in the gang. Mm. Or you can make another movie about being leased to the Freemasons. Mm. Or, you, you know, you choose a part, pick a part. Mm. So I had all of it. And every night when I went to bed, once the memories started, it was like mm. I was in the worst nightmare of my life. And I was really struggling. Mm. Um, mm. So I needed to see someone and I started to see a therapist. Well, yeah, I mean, it's understandable that, yeah, your mind would react that way. And what kind of therapy was it for you? Because I know it's therapy has obviously changed. So what was what was the modality when you started? We're not. Well, I did a lot of things, actually. Um, So the when I started, the therapy was. psychology mm-hmm. and started with psychology and then moved on but at the same time I did journaling which was mm-hmm. just my thoughts so they went in my head mm-hmm. yeah and a lot of exercise so I just found some things that helped to mm. balance me and free me up a bit because mm-hmm. I was trying to raise my beautiful children so mm. yeah mm. I had to be functioning mm. To be honest, Andrew, if I hadn't been a mum, I don't know that I would be here today. Oh, wow. Wow, that's, mm, got you. And, yeah, I'm glad, yeah, you were able to to be one. And the thing is, like, with trauma, like, it affects every part of your life. And so how how are you able to manage life and like i know you talk about um you know how you you struggle to go to sleep and deal with that trauma but how did you see that affect your relationships and how you related to other people well i'd built up one my biggest defense or coping mechanism as survivors i believe we we use two or three specifically my biggest coping mechanism was to to put on a false front, and I'd mm. develop that from an early age, so I would become acceptable to people, mm. because clearly who I was as a child was never enough. If my mm. if my core belief was I'm always in the way, mm. that means good enough. So I chose mm. to become that which I wasn't, mm. and so my biggest challenge was to uh, try and unpack that and uh, mm. find all the real. Gloria, please stand up. Mm, mm, yes. And so, you know, you talked about journaling and writing, you know, was a big part of getting that trauma out, releasing it. And so I guess now I want to start talking a little bit about your memoir and like, you know, when did you actually start writing it? How long did that take? And what was that process like for you writing your entire story down? Well, it was interesting. It was it was a game of two halves. Mm. <laughs> and by by yeah. that I'm, it was so cathartic, and I mm. made connections and and made yeah. sense of that had been previously mm-hmm. unavailable to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I don't, for instance, had always a hundred percent blamed my father for everything. Mm-hmm. The writing of the book, I realised my mother was an 
the most gold medal award winning gatekeeper and enabler. Mm. So yeah. she was culpable. She was yeah. culpable. Mm. Yeah, Even that's definitely. With my father and brother was mm. actually. Mm. Yes. Uh, so I think. Right. So so it was very cathartic for me to write the book. It was also deeply, deeply triggering, traumatizing and hard. It took me three years and mm. I had to relive it to write it. Mm, yeah. So it was tough. But mm. many versions later it arrived and it's there. And and look, is it a tough read? Of course, mm. yes. Mm. There a reason it's there, yes. It's to give other mm. people permission to come forward and tell their truth, speak their truth, uh, because they're not alone. Mm. It's one voice. Mm. Mm. Wow! Yes, that's so so powerful and so inspirational. And how long has the book been out now? Uh, so I published the book last year, um, mm-hmm. May, March, April 2021. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, so that's great. And yes. um, yeah, really happy with that. And then, yeah, and then the second book, The the Guide, I've written mm-hmm. a guide for survivors, uh, just putting in some things that, that helped me and also just some um some methodologies and processes for survivors so they they if they're ready to start their journey but don't quite mm-hmm. know how they can actually pick the book up in any place mm. and start their healing. It doesn't have to be an A to Z. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's great. So powerful. Um and you know I think something I guess I want to dig a little bit more into is you know I know it's it's different across different cultures, but parents and cultures can be put on pedestals. And so for survivors who feel that cultural pressure or who feel like they can't go no, no contact with an abuser or with an abusive family member, what would you say to a survivor who, you know, it was struggling with that, who for their for their health, they need to go no contact with an abuser? And what would you say if they're struggling with that? Well, just that as a child, they never had a choice mm. and they were not put first. So there's mm. that. Mm. Let's do the weighing up. They were never considered. They were abused. They had no choice in the matter. As an adult now, every part of their being is screaming at them, look after yourself. Mm-hmm. But because the power over relationship with the abuser meant they possibly felt guilty and, and ashamed as we do, mm-hmm. it's hard for them to find their voice. Mm. But sometimes the healthiest thing we can do is to have no contact and you know it doesn't need to be forever, Andrew. If that's not their wish, if they decide mm-hmm. yeah. you no know, con for a few months and then decide they can or they would mm-hmm. like to again, yeah. mm-hmm. must always get our beautiful survivors mm. have the autonomy and the choice yes. of their lives mm-hmm. and their 
Yeah. Mm, yes, yes, most definitely. And so I also want to start talking a question. Sorry, what? Does it? Oh, yes, yes, it does. And I wanted to talk a little bit too. Um, I didn't realize your book was so recent. So congratulations on that recent publication of that. And also, I want to talk a little bit too about your podcast. Like, what you know, when that I when did that idea start. And, you know, when did you finally get that out? Well, yeah, so all of this is quite recent, although Mm -hmm. I've been building it for years, if that makes sense. Mm, Yeah, I got you. Mm -hmm. I remember a therapist saying to me once, you don't think you went through all of that, which is highly unusual Mm. for the first 16 years to then come out of it and do nothing. Mm. do something equally impactful make sense Mm. yeah that's what I'm doing but the idea just came from within and I realized my story was so unusual and that as I started getting interviewed overseas more and more uh, there were comments like it's unbelievable and what a miracle and and Thank you, Gloria. You know, you're going to help a lot of people. And then I got asked to speak more. Mm. And then I realized because I'm an ex therapist myself, mm-hmm. uh, that I might be able to actually start helping other survivors by interviewing them. Mm. So then I set up Hand in the Shame back on YouTube. Mm. And that all began in January. Mm, mm, yes and then it grew into well people want to know well who are you to be doing that so then I started including some of the media interviews I'd had Mm. uh, and on the channel and off and some practical tips for people so yeah that's how it all began Mm, yes wow that's, that's so great I'm glad um that you've been able to offer a platform um, for survivors to help them. Yeah. And, you know, as you've done, you know, you've been, you know, working on your healing for decades and, you know, becoming an advocate, um, well, you know, through your, I guess, experience and your research, how how can we prevent child sexual abuse in our society today? To be honest, if there was never any money in it, mm. I think that would be a, a huge deterrent and we would see numbers mm. uh, dramatically. But secondly, I think we need the enablers and the gatekeepers around it to start um, to stop desist, mm. stop pretending or pretending mm. or whatever, because no one's abusing without one person knowing. Mm. Are they? And the other thing is what we don't realise, Andrew, or what may not be well known is that for every pedophile or predator, whether it's your father, whether it's your uncle, Mm. whether it's your auntie, whether it's the woman across the street, you're never the only victim. Mm. They say there's always at least 15. Uh, mm, Yeah. mm. mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Sorry, what were you about to say? Oh, I just, I just feel that 
If everyone had eyes wide open and called out behaviour when they saw it or looked at the child or asked the child and started asking things like, what's happened to you? Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, definitely. What's happened to you or what has happened? Because there's a reason for behaviour. Children won't talk, but what they will do is they'll show us through their play, through their mm. behaviour, through their actions. Children, that's how children show us their world. Mm. Mm, wow, yes. And, you know, it, it does make me so, so sad when an abuser is caught and they're not held accountable and they're it's just brushed aside or it's something you know, people don't want to deal with and, you know, and like, you know, the background that I came from, you know, abuse that happens a lot in religious environments is a lot of those people aren't held accountable and it's just religion is used like the reputation of that institution is prioritized, you know, before anyone else. And, you know, and it's like if a person will say they're sorry, maybe, and then they're like, they're set free to another place. But like you said, they abuse many other people. It's not a one-time thing that happens. And I know in the Catholic Church, mm. they just move the priest. We call them parishes, so from mm -hmm. church to church. So if, if, if there's a priest that's abused too many kids in, in the parish at Devonport, Mm. What they'll do is, if there's enough complaints, yes, they'll remove the priest, but nothing happens apart from mm -hmm. he might he might get moved mm -hmm. fifty hundred kilometers away to another parish or meeting. Mm. Oh wow, yeah, isn't bitch? That's not dealing with the problem yeah. at all. Wow, it's so mm, it's terrible and it, it's so tragic. Watch um, the movie Spotlight. It will give you. Oh, gosh, it's on Netflix, I think. Right? Oh, my God. Andrew, we'll have a chat after that. Watch mm. Spotlight. Okay, yes, I will do that. Mm. Wow, yeah, I'm sure. I, I think, yeah, it's in my list. It's something I haven't gotten to yet because there's some things, some things can be triggering for me. So, yeah, I'll try to see um, oh, if sorry. I can get through that. Don't if it's not. <laughs> Don't yeah. know. I'll yeah. see. I don't know, <laughs> but um, but what for survivors out there? What advice do you have for them from the lessons that you've learned from your from the things you sadly had to experience? And what inspiration do you have for them? Well, I suppose it's it's a twofold. Another great question, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, Thank you. So. Look, I, I think number one is is trust your instinct. Mm, yes. You you know yourself if something's feeling off. If something's feeling off and you ignore it, it's not going to go away. If it's truth, it's going to mm. keep coming for you. At some point, you're going to be shoulder tapped. Yeah, ignore that. You're going to be hit. Don't wait till you're bowled over completely <laughs> before mm. you to face into just know that your instinct is never wrong that mm -hmm. something did happen and that it's not happening now because often for us as adult survivors when we have repressed memories and then they come back at us 
we almost feel like we're back in there in that situation. Mm. So a really good technique I I think works is to get them to look at their hands. They're mm. not the hands of a child, they're the hands of an adult. Mm. So you're safe now. It's mm. not happening now. Yeah. Mm. Mm, yes. Wow. I think that's so true and so powerful because, yeah, you know, our trauma can bring us back, you know, as if we were that kid again. And I think therapy can be a it's just a wonderful thing to work through that. Um, and, you know, I think I'm just trying to think of anything else or anything else that you would like to cover or talk about um, from your story. Awesome. Yeah, I suppose, um, look, I don't think I went through all of that for no purpose and mm -hmm. my in life now is to shine light on mm. this by helping other people through love and humility. So mm. that's what I want to do. I just want to share it with the world and have them feel safe and believed. Mm, and, yes. Yeah. And so how long have you been sharing your story? Uh, so it got published last year in April, my memoir. I mean, so, sorry, before that, I know you had done some interviews, didn't you say? So then, or did you start the interviews? Last year. Okay, got you. Wow. So yeah, so all just talking about a period so recent. And so internally, as I think this is important for survivors, when did you feel like you were ready to tell your story? What what were internal things that were going on? Well, I, do, I just, I think I, I started getting shoulder tapped. Like I'd listen to people talk about their stories or read about someone and I would think, oh, they they survived, you know, um, whatever had happened. Mm -hmm. And then it got me thinking that the outpouring of love and concern for that person I thought gosh if they heard my story I wonder what would happen then mm. and so then I had to choose do I want to publicly share by publishing the book and getting attention brought to it mm. and if I do what's my purpose here mm -hmm. because it's just to look at me.com that's not actually who I really am mm -hmm. but if it's going to be a bring interest to the platform or to my charity, mm -hmm. which is and in the shame back, mm -hmm. um, then it means other survivors can be helped. So that's when I mm -hmm. decided to be really prominent. Mm, yes. And so what would you say, I guess, to a survivor who who wants to share their story, but they might be scared about it or you know, and like when I say share, it doesn't, you know, it can either be if they want to share it with a therapist or with someone in private. It's just there's no it's very general when I say that. So what do you say to someone who is um, scared to share or talk about their story with someone? Look, there's 150 different ways of sharing. Mm -hmm. There is no pressure at all. Yeah. If you feel like it's time for you to share Either choose someone you feel really safe with mm -hmm. or write it out or go and throw some rocks on the beach mm. or go and do some painting, go to an art mm. class, do some martial arts. Mm. There are many ways to mm. release from your psyche. Mm. 
And the more you start to do that, the freer you will feel. You don't yeah. have to do what Andrew and I do, which is go mm-hmm. on big platforms and talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're on the right platform, you should feel safe. Mm. You should feel lighter later. Does that make sense, Andrew? Mm, yes. Lighter later. Yes, most yes. definitely. Yes, but not all interviewers are trauma-informed like you Mm. or like me. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes we can get people who want to be a little little bit voyeuristic, uh, which isn't actually Mm -hmm. the the intent for sharing. So Mm -hmm. for the beautiful survivors, if they're wanting to share, there's many ways to share, but Mm -hmm. choose wisely Mm -hmm. because if your family and the abuser is within the family, mm. uh, it may be a vested interest in shutting you down real quick. Mm. So mm. you just got to choose to you mm. feel more confident here. Mm. Yes, most definitely. Um, I've greatly enjoyed this conversation and hearing your story. Sorry, Gloria, it's just it's so horrible, all the things you went through, but also inspirational to see you come on the other side with love and light. And before we end this interview, I, I again want to give you the space to say anything else that you would like to say. Thanks, Andrew. So I think mm-hmm. if people are interested in their own journey and, and maybe some helpful practical techniques on starting that or mm-hmm. progressing through my book, uh, Flight Path to Healing, a guide for child sexual abuse survivors is available and it's available in all versions on uh, Amazon and on GloriaMasters.com. So I just want to offer that because sometimes we don't know how to take that next step. And mm. I've been told it's um, it's quite valuable. Mm. Mm. Yes. And for anyone listening, I will link all the things that she just listed below in the show notes. So please go check those resources out. And thank you again, Gloria, for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thanks, Andrew, for having me. Of course, you're welcome. And uh, for everyone listening, um, please go follow her on social media. I have that link below. Go to her YouTube channel. Check that out. Thank you for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pludger. Your support is much appreciated. Please leave a review and share with friends and family. And if you can, please support me on Patreon. And the link is in my description. Thank you so much for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger.